Hey guys, it's Kayla. It's Evan. And welcome to Podstetrics. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 13 of Podstetrics. And today we're going to be covering the APGAR score and neonatal resuscitation. So like always, we'll start off with a medical disclaimer. So this podcast does not constitute as medical advice. If you do have any queries or concerns, please see your healthcare provider. I feel like we were vibing like really well then. It's just like that eye contact being like, go. <laughs> so as always with our content episodes, we'll start off with a case. So baby Michael is born at 1.30 a.m. following a C-section in a rural hospital close to metropolitan Melbourne. Following delivery, there was no cry and baby appeared blue in color with a reduced respiratory rate. When baby was checked by the pediatricians, neonatal resuscitation was commenced. Yeah. So first of all, let's start off with what is the APGAR score? And really, it's a standardized tool that's used all over the world and it's done at one and five minutes. It was discovered by Dr. Virginia Apgar in 1952, and it's scored out of 10. So each section is given a lowest possible score of zero and then a highest score of two. And it's basically a universal way to see how baby's really going if baby needs a little bit more help. Uh, How do I say this? It gives midwives and OBs like a general guide, I guess, in terms of the urgency of treatment and how we're going to monitor baby. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it also indicates if baby may need some sort of neonatal resuscitation, um, but it can't be used as an indicator for this alone. If resus is needed, you wouldn't wait one whole minute to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And really, I guess, like, why did this score come about? So I guess early on, especially in the 40s and 50s, Dr. Apgar really saw that there wasn't really a standardized way of assessing a baby when the baby was delivered. It was really, really subjective. And the Apgar still is subjective, but it gives a framework, though, for doctors to be able to really classify and to really kind of distill the help that a baby needs. And really, this is why the score has come about. And there's been lots of studies that's been done on the implementation of the APGAR score. Mm -hmm. Because another great thing about it is you don't really need any tools except for your clinical acumen and your eyes. And so it can be used in third world countries as well. And it's really helped to standardize care in those countries. Yeah, awesome. So I guess the whole genius of it is that APGAR is also used as an acronym. Yes. (laughs) The letters of Dr. Virginia APGAR's surname represent an aspect of the scoring system that we use. Yeah. So the A stands for appearance. And when we're looking at appearance, we're looking at cyanosis. So Evan, do you want to explain what cyanosis basically means? Yeah. So cyanosis just means that there's low oxygen delivery to the tissues. And so they go a blue color. And here again, we're breaking down the score into zero, one, and two. So zero being complete cyanosis. So baby's blue in the whole body. One is peripheral cyanosis, but not central. So the arms and the legs are cyanosed but not the lips and, and the chest and the yeah, eyes. Yeah. So and by then, peripheral, we literally mean like... The limbs. The limbs, yeah. yeah. And two just being non-cyanotic. Yeah. So for P, we're looking at pulse. So our zero would be an absent pulse. We can't find heart rate on baby. A one would be less than 100 beats per minute. So the average heart rate for baby is about 160 beats per minute. And then our level two would be more than 100 beats per minute. Yeah. And now, so now the G is the grimace, so the facial expression. So a zero being baby is completely floppy. There's no facial expression. Then a one being that there's a weak facial expression, but there's no cry. And that's important. And then two, there's a strong cry and a strong facial expression. Yeah. So for A, we're looking at activity. So for zero, we say baby's floppy. So with activity, when we say that baby is floppy, usually baby's got a bit of tone. So 
baby's got a bit of strength and resistance in their movement and I, I don't I don't really know how to explain yeah, so it. Like usually, I guess, with babies, the main thing that they have is their flexors. Yeah. So they're able to, you know, flex their body so that when you pull them up, they're not just like jelly. Yeah. They've got some type of mus- muscle tone. Yeah. But for zero, we're looking at a complete floppy baby, so zero muscle tone. Yeah. For one, we're looking at like a slight flexion. And for two, we're looking at full flexion and activity and reactivity to the stimuli that we... Yeah, exactly. That we give on to them. And then R is the respirate. So zero being apneic, so no breathing. One being that the breathing is very weak and two being a really strong cry. And automatically when you hear these things and when you look at the APGAS call, you can see that things like appearance, grimace and activity are very subjective. Yeah. So it depends on the doctor that's administering the APGAS or the midwife as to how they classify these things. And it's also really important to know um, if you are a mum and you hear the uh, APGAS call getting thrown around, it's really unlikely to get a full score. Yeah, no, Because no, generally no, all babies that are born are coloured. Yeah, yeah, so usually the highest score that I've ever seen is like a nine. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. So as we were saying before, it's really a scale of one to ten, ten being the highest, or zero to ten, sorry. So when we break it down, we break it up into three categories. So when we're looking at a low score, we're looking at anything in total being between zero and three. For intermediate, we're looking at four to six. And for high, we're looking at anywhere between seven to 10. So if baby scores less than seven, the test is repeated every five minutes for a 20 minute period. So in total, repeated four times. Yeah. And again, having math. Yeah. (laughs) Quick math. Quick math. (laughs) Again, having a low score does not mean that your baby is unhealthy. Rather, it really means that your baby just needs extra help. Yeah. So for example, baby might need supplemental oxygen or might need suctioning of the fluid in the upper airways. And the above two things help baby to breathe better get in more oxygen, and so their score will improve. Because more oxygen means reduced cyanosis, the pulse will be reduced as well, and there'll be greater activity. Yeah. So the things that we're looking at in terms of, like, why limit why APGAR is kind of limited in a way, as we said, it's very subjective. It's only a snapshot of how baby is in one single moment of time, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, and things change very quickly as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. So some areas, things like, Color and grimace, again, subjective. Yeah. Extrinsic factors can affect the score. So things like maternal analgesia, which is something that we spoke about in our previous episode. So things like morphine may may make baby a little bit more sleepy. Mm -hmm. Things like general anesthesia as well. Yeah. It's important to note that this really doesn't tell us about long-term outcomes in baby, including things like neurological outcomes. So. What the literature does tell us is that just because your baby is born with a low APGAR doesn't it doesn't necessarily necessarily predict anything about how they will be in the future in terms of their neurological health and general health really. Yeah. And now moving on, so where do we go to if our APGAR score is compromising or if we're worried about the APGAR score? And if baby is severely distressed or if very specific guidelines are met, then we need to move on to resuscitation. So there's three major things that occur when baby is born, and these involve the lungs. And these are major changes that take time to occur in babies. Sometimes these changes can be pathological, yeah. or the lack of changes can be path- pathological. Yeah. So the first thing that happens is the lungs will take over as the major organ for gas exchange. So in utero, when baby's in mum, the placenta is what regulates gas exchange. Yeah. And now when baby's born, the lungs are starting to take over. So that's yeah. the first thing. The second thing is that fluid leaves the lungs. Yeah. So when baby's coming out of that tight pelvic passage, the fluids are squeezed out of the lungs. Yeah. And the lungs are now an empty chamber for gas exchange. Yeah. And so some babies born with cesarean get 
uh, TTN, yeah, which is your yeah. transient tachypnea yeah. of the newborn. Again, something that we've previously spoken about. Yeah. yeah. And then the third thing that happens is that there, there's an increase of blood flow to the lungs, and this is achieved by closing the cardiac shunts. Yeah. And this is something that we can talk about in, in more episode. detail in another episode because yeah. we didn't really cover it that much in physiologic changes in pregnancy. Well, neonatal changes in itself require a full episode. Yeah, it's, definitely. It's so complicated how it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, really interesting, but very different to anything that our bodies really do. Yeah. So... There are at least two people present to coordinate things like the recess. Um, Generally, the most senior person will lead it, of course. Um, When we're performing neonatal recess, there are some certain steps or questions that we need to ask ourselves. So when the baby is delivered and wrapped and is lying on the table, there are three specific questions that we need to ask. So is the baby term or is it premature? Is the baby breathing and crying? And is there good tone in baby? Yeah, again, and these again kind of sound a little, a little bit, bit like the APGAR. Similar to the yeah. APGAR, yeah. So if yes, we're looking at maintaining normal skin temperature, really, really important. Encourage maternal skin-to-skin contact. And that's something, again, that we've spoken about in terms of our limitations to things like cesarean delivery and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, skin-to-skin is so important. Yeah, because it regulates... Um, it regulates temperature. Yeah. But also, baby is so used to being inside mum. Baby's used to mum's heart rate, yeah. her breathing, everything. Yeah. And it really helps to calm and center yeah. baby. As well as connection for mum and bubs as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, if yes, as well, we need to look at our normal OBS yeah. as well. So now, if there's no to any of the following, there's a number of things that need to happen. So firstly, baby's placed on a heated bed. And this is really important because babies lose their heat really easily. Yeah, they can't and, maintain their, yeah, their and, temperature. And we also need to ensure that baby's dry because yeah. evaporation is a major way to lose heat. Yeah. And I was going to say that drying is really good because it kind of wakes baby up yeah. a little bit yeah. as well. Yeah. It's kind it's of like, hello, like, yeah. let's go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's time to breathe. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, <laughs> also, though, with babies that are born preterm, often they haven't developed their entire skin. Yes. And so, again, that's a really easy way for them then to, to lose, lose heat. Because skin is a major yeah. control. Of and so because of that, premature infants are often wrapped in a plastic bag and placed under the warmer. Mm. So next now we evaluate our heart rate, our tone and our breathing. And then with anything in medicine, we go by the ABCs when we do resuscitation. Amen. And that's airway, <laughs> breathing and circulation. So Kayla, do you want to start with airway? Yes. Yeah, so the airway we need to make sure is clear of any obstruction. Again, as we said before, lungs are... Liquid filled cavity when baby's in utero. Mm-hmm. So ensure that the airway is clear of obstruction. We may need some suction if there is any meconium or blood in the mouth. So again, mech is that it's a sticky substance. Yeah, that, that tar-like substance. Yeah, yeah, that babies secrete during times of stress. Um, chin support and jaw thrust. So what we want to do is keep the head in a neutral position, not sniffing air. Like in children above one, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, really so how to generally, that. so in children above one and adults, when you do the chin, um, when you do the, um, uh, what's it called? When you do the uh, jaw thrust, you also mm-hmm. do a chin lift. Yeah, and that's really so. If you can imagine what it's like to sniff air, you extend your neck and you put your head forward. Yeah, and that's just to make sure that the airway is really patent, <clears throat> and it's the maximum airway for breathing. But this <clears throat> is not true in children. <laughs> but my airway got compromised then. <laughs> Um, next, we move into breathing and circulation. And this is if there's ga- uh, gasping or apnea, so if baby's not breathing or struggling to breathe, mm. or and if the heart rate is less than 100. Yeah. So what we use here is something called IPPV, which is intermittent positive, positive pressure ventilation. Yeah. And this is forcing air into the lungs. Yeah. And every 30 seconds, we're reassessing baby to see if the heart rate goes above 100. 
If not, then we can change to 100% oxygen and we can increase that positive pressure. And then we can start thinking about things like intubation. But yeah. intubation is always last on our list. Yeah. Compressions or SE. So if heart rate doesn't respond or falls less than 60, we generally do three compressions and one breath. So because babies are quite small. So in normal CPR, you're told to use the palm of your the palm of your hand yeah. and to make really deep, I guess, like. They say to go a third of the way mm-hmm. into the into the chest cavity. Here we're only using two fingers. But we're still babies, going a third of the way. But we're still going a third of the way, but we're only using two fingers. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can press a lower third of the sternum to a depth of a third. Um, you also want to make sure you have things like an ECG to determine the rhythm. Yes. Um, yeah. Also, it's really important as well. The breaths that are done in neonatal resuscitation are very, very small breaths. Yeah. Almost like a whisper. You yeah. don't want to do a full breath because you will collapse the lungs. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then obviously the last thing we do is defib. Yeah. Yeah. Voice capsules. Now, moving on, we need to administer any medications if needed. And this is done through an umbilical venous catheter. This is because we don't really want to be pricking and prodding baby, yep. causing any additional distress. Yep. And there are a number of things that we can give. So we can give adrenaline if we want to increase the heart rate. If there's a lactic acidosis because baby is not breathing, we can give sodium bicarbonate and that neutralizes the acid in the blood. If baby is born hypoglycemic, which is quite common in babies that are born from mothers with um, diabetes, gestational diabetes, we can give them sugar. Yep. If there's any blood loss, then we can give um, sodium chloride or blood, a really important um, kind of tool, I guess, that we can remember how we resuscitate a neonate is we want to give a bolus, and this is about 10 mils per kilogram. Yeah, and so what's babies, a bolus again? Uh, it's just a one, one initial yeah. quick deliverance of that fluid. Yeah. So we give about 10 to 15 mil, uh, milligrams per kilogram, um, sorry, milliliters per kilogram. So say, like, for example, if baby weighs three kilos, then we'll give 30 mil, so yeah. a 30 mil bolus. Yeah. And the last thing is naloxone, and that's yeah. something, again, that we spoke about in the previous ep- episode when we were discussing um, morphine as a um, form of analgesia given during pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if opioids are present in mum, which could have been transplacentally transferred to baby, um, this usually does result in reduced breathing. Yeah. So we can give naloxone as a counter agent for that. Exactly. Yeah. So how do we know when to stop resuscitation is, I guess, the next question. So obvious, the really obvious one is if baby gets better. Yeah. So vitals in baby are improving. After 10 minutes of no improvement or further treatment would just, because because further treatment would make brain injury any worse. Yeah. And yeah. really the last two are generally always palliative. Yeah. So generally baby will pass away, especially after the 10 minutes of no improvement. But even if further treatment would make brain injury worse, we're talking about very severe brain injury here. Yeah, so brain injury that's probably not compatible with life. The one of the biggest things with mechanical ventilation are things like cerebral palsy, intraventricular hemorrhage. We yeah. think about our retinopathies. Yeah. So baby going blind. Yeah. So they're all things that we need to consider in the resus because the resus is really about bringing baby back, bringing baby back in a good condition. Yeah. We that sounds really insensitive though because cerebral palsy is not necessarily. No, but I guess the the thing about cerebral palsy, though, is it's non-progressive. Yeah. And so not doing, I mean, doing the ventilation or not doing the ventilation is not going to change the cerebral palsy. Yes. Uh, So we're more talking about your HIEs, so your hypoxic ischemic encephalopathies that can occur and damage the brain and get worse as Mm. the, the kind of the treatment that you're doing is progressive. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now we talk about aftercare. Yeah. So the first thing would be to transfer baby to NICU, mm-hmm. neonatal intensive care unit. 
we take careful and increased bedside observations. So yeah, quite intensive. I don't know if anyone's ever set foot in a NICU. It is quite, um, quite an intense environment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the next is Piper. Yeah. And I think Piper, Piper for me is just absolutely amazing. So it's an initiative that's run by the Royal Children's Hospital. And Piper stands for the Pediatric Infant Perinatal Emergency Retrieval Service. And you can really think about this as an ambulance that's kitted out just for neonates. Yeah. And it's used for retrieval. So in this case, in our case of a rural hospital, which is not equipped to deal with the neonatal complications or might not have a NICU, but also for referrals and advice. So as a junior doctor, even as a medical student, as a midwifery student, you can actually call Piper and ask them the questions that you have and they always do respond and they're really friendly. That's amazing. I never knew about Piper. That's pretty cool. So yeah, that's the end of our neonatal resource and APGA episode. Mm -hmm. So like always to end the case, Following a five-minute recess, baby Michael's heart rate and breathing improved and colour started to return. There was a strong cry, which was heard by the team, and recess was ceased. The team also decided to call Piper, and baby was transferred to an inner-city hospital for aftercare in the NICU. Mum was transferred shortly thereafter with her partner to be with baby. Whilst a stressful situation, she was glad that the baby was safe. So, as always, thanks for listening to this podcast. You can find us on Linktree. So that's linktree.com forward slash podstetrics. You can also find us on Google if you just Google podstetrics. You can also find us on all social media, so Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and also on streaming services, so Spotify, Apple, and CastBox. And as always, we also ask that you review our podcast on Apple Podcasts and that you share um, as well and like and review because that's really how we know how to improve this. Yeah, of course, and cater it to you, which is what we want. So as always, I'm Kayla. And I'm Evan. Stay safe, guys. And take care of yourselves. Bye.